Well, like we've kind of said already, we just celebrated Christmas. And today, instead of, I'm going to grab my water here before I forget. Um, Instead of kind of jumping forward into uh, the next thing, I want us to kind of think about um, if some of you have done like Lectio Divina, where you kind of savor a piece of scripture and you go over it again and and something is revealed new to you, um, we're going to do that about Jesus' incarnation. We're going to savor his incarnation, his coming to this world, um, for a couple different reasons, and I'm going to share that with you here a minute. But as we look forward to 2022, I want us to think about what the implication on our life of Jesus coming, sorry, here in the flesh on earth and what implications and what transformation should we be going through in our life today because of his what I call sacred empathy right he envisioned not only he didn't just envision he physically came so we're going to jump into two scriptures um, first one being John 1, 14. I believe I have it on the screen. And I apologize, I don't know uh, what page that's on in the Pew Bibles. John 1, 14. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Second passage I want to jump to is Philippians 2. Excuse me. 1 through 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value yourselves, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Celebrating Christmas is extremely important. And it's not just because, you know, we um, all want to have the, you know, Christmas cheer of, 
red and green and have the best Christmas decorations in our house and the best Christmas decorations outside of our house or outgift each other or, you know, um, have Christmas music playing all month long. That's not the reason that Christmas is so important. And those things are fun. <laughs> Christmas is important because Christ is here. This Christmas, um, my, the kids and I did a little bit of research at the beginning of December about what does Christmas mean? Like, what are some of these answers? And there's some cute videos on Right Now Media that we found. And so we, we kind of discovered Christmas. What's the meaning of the word Christmas? Like, where did that come from? So um, in kind of a couple hundred years ago, I think in like medieval kind of era, um, they celebrated the winter solstice around this time, right? It's the shortest night of the year. Um, they would celebrate. They would have these big parties. And the Catholic Church kind of took this opportunity to say, you know, we are going to have a celebration of our own that kind of redirects from the sun in the sky to the sun in heaven, right? So we're going to have a specific celebration for Christ, you know, the world around us, the culture, the societies, they're having this celebration of the sun and winter solstice. We are going to celebrate the sun. And so they had a special mass that was, you know, specifically about Christ. So it became kind of known at that time of year as Christ Mass. And so over time, it just kind of became known as Christmas. And it's really important because he is the reason we celebrate Christmas. Right? We don't just celebrate the sun. We don't just celebrate winter solstice. We celebrate Christ. And he most likely was not born on December 25. Hate to break it to you. But this is when we've chosen to say, instead of doing that celebration, that the culture around us is doing, we're going to do this celebration. And the recognition that he came here. He came in this little body. He was formed in the exact way that we are formed. And everything Jesus did, it wasn't just about him being divine. It was about him being human. He became the form. And, like, if you just sit on this a minute, it always catches my breath. Jesus became the creation. He spoke into being. Like, my brain has a really hard time computing that because there's nothing that I create that I can become. Right? We don't have a whole lot of things in our world where we can just... And so it's, it's, it's hard for us to really grasp the gravity of that. He became something he created. He, had, he has a capacity to create the intricacies of the human body, and then he became that. God said, let us make man in our image. And then he became that image. He became our dust form, our, our dirt form, Right? And we look to him 
for a couple reasons. And we'll come back to this, we've been made in his image in a second. Um, I want us to think about that, what that means, being made in his image, as we kind of look forward to the next year. But I just want to, let's linger here for a second about Jesus being human. Part of understanding who Jesus is as a human propels us. It's like a rubber band, right? It propels us to understand our responsibility as image bearers. You know, he's the maker of the known universe, right? And he, he squeezed himself into this little tiny molecule and let himself be formed in a human body. You know, his physical presence here on earth was manifest in unglamorous mess and filth and it came through pain and labor, and it was something somebody else did for him. He, he literally gave himself up. He had no control over his being born. His mother brought him into this world. He gave up everything. And he came as a baby. Why? Why, why did he come as a baby? He could have just shown up as a human guy, you know, in his 30s and be like, okay, here I am. I'm human. Um, I'm fully human. I'm your perfect example. Also, I'll be your perfect sacrifice, but I'm here. Here I am. But he became a baby, right? So there's no confusing that he's human. And there's also something else. He understands our human experience completely. He didn't overt any stage of life. So not only is he our perfect substitute, he's our perfect example. And he took on this nothingness, like he depended on everyone to do things for him, right? That's what babies do. They can't walk, they can't feed themselves, they, they can't talk. They, he became that, like God became helpless. <laughs> what? Like, my brain, I, just, I can't wrap my head all the way around that. You know, he could have bypassed these awkward years, twos, terrible twos, that's what Harper is right now, and she's being defiant. I know Jesus probably wasn't defiant. He probably never put his hands on his hips to his mom and said, no, but my daughter's doing that, right? Awkward preteen years, he could have skipped all that. Deterioration of the body, aches and pains. He could have skipped all that. But he became human to show us he understands us. And then to inspire us to bear his image. He was the one who gave us the example of who God is in the flesh. What does it mean for us to be perfect image bearers of God, right? We were made in his image. Well, what does that even mean? It's Jesus Christ. He's our example of what it means. He's the one who holds God's holy divine image. And in Jesus' um, ministry and in the age of Jesus, you know, we have this passage in the Gospels where um, someone, you know, the Pharisees are trying to trick Jesus and bring him a coin and 
who should we give our taxes to Caesar, to God? And Jesus says, give to Caesar's what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's, right? Caesar's coins had Caesar's face on it. And we are God's currency in his world. So he gave us this perfect example of what it means to be God's currency. And then he says, not only am I your example, but I'm your perfect substitute. And he stepped in our place, and there's only one way he could have done that. He had to be human, right? God needed a man, a human, to bear the load of what Adam and Eve had done. It's not like he, we could say, you know, okay, here we found the best possible goat. Um, this is a spotless, you know, perfect goat, and that's going to cover humanity. No, <laughs> that's not going to cut it. Jesus is our perfect, spotless, divine, human <laughs> lamb. And God needed to give that punishment that we deserve. He's our perfect substitute to God's wrath because God cannot be holy. He cannot be separate. He cannot be himself if he tolerates sin. And God forgives it. He always, you know, he forgives sin, but sin always has a punishment. Always. There is always consequence for sin. God cannot be holy and powerful without having boundaries of which he, he gives us to operate, and we broke those boundaries, and so now somebody has to pay. And God in his love says, I won't make you do it, but it has to be done. This kind of reminds me of um, this week during Christmas break. <coughs> Excuse me. I was having my kids kind of help clean the house. And I would say, you know, we got to clean this up. Well, I didn't make that mess. I didn't ask you if you made the mess, but I did ask you to clean it up, right? So imagine, you know, maybe this isn't too much of a stretch for some of us. We walk into a child's room, and they have completely destroyed their room, right? They have undone everything. They have trashed it. They have broken furniture. They have thrown their clothes all over the place. There's marks on the wall. It is a disaster. And as a parent, you know, imagine yourself walking in and saying, somebody has to undo this mess. Somebody has to clean this up. This has to be undone. This, this can't exist like this. It's like God in his divine fatherhood said, I'm going to do that for you. I'm going to clean up everything you've undone because I know that you're not actually capable of doing it yourself. Right? Even with our own children, you know, they, they don't really have a capacity to fully clean it. You know, my five-year-olds clean their room, but they don't really clean their room, right? So somebody has to come and do what they've undone. And it's God in his love, he says, I will be your punishment. I will be your substitute because I love you. 
And I'm not only going to stand in your punishment, I'm also going to stand in your experience. He's got this unimaginable love and sacred empathy for us. The amount of love that it shows to take on every human being's sin. Like, we know how it feels when we feel bad about something or, like, we said something not quite the right way. It's just got this, like, ugh, and your heart is heavy, and it's hard to catch your breath. Now, imagine that feeling of guilt on Jesus' body for every human being. The only way he could hold that weight is by being God. But the only way he could take that weight was by being human. So as we live as uh, followers of Jesus Christ, the, the early church was called Christians, little Christs. So imagine yourself as a little Jesus, right? As we live as little Jesuses, Christmas is the time that we stop to remember who he is and what he's done. And we need it every year, don't we? We kind of like dismiss it. Like, oh, Jesus came as a baby. How sweet. It was for a very specific reason. We have to be reminded of it year after year. The power of the universe was put in a manger. And he did it out of love. And we bear that image, which means we have that capacity to show love, and love is not going to be Photoshop perfect. It's, it's not going to be rainbows and butterflies. It's, it's love is wanting the best for people, the way God does. Love is also assuming <laughs> the best out of people. And sacred empathy, what God empowers us to do, gives us the ability to do that. Uh, not assume the worst out of people. And I know we're in a health pandemic, but I think we're also, our society is in an emotional pandemic. We have this epidemic of assuming the worst out of every single person who doesn't do something the way we want them to and the way we would do it. We just assume they're doing something out of spite or disrespect, right? I know I do it, and I've talked to people who do it, so I, that's how I kind of know it's kind of this, like, universal epidemic. I do it of my family. I do it with my kids. I do it of my spouse. I do it of my family members. I just assume that they're being intentionally rude or disrespectful or unthoughtful just to have it out for me. But that's not love. That's not image-bearing. Being made in his likeness means that I shouldn't be thinking the worst out of his creation. If God saw it fit to create that person, then God sees it fit to love that person. Every person he creates, he loves. Whether or not they love him back is up to them. But every person he creates, he loves. And as his image, it's my responsibility to also love them. And 
in our culture, love means a lot of different things, right? It isn't necessarily permissiveness or agreement. Love is wanting the best for someone, but doing it in a way that they will take in and they will receive. I want to point something out as we're talking about Jesus. A lot of times we kind of refer to uh, the way that Jesus talked to the Jewish leaders and the religious teachers and the Pharisees and you know, he admonished them, and he would, um, he would kind of call them on the carpet about what they were doing, and he was, he was pretty direct and strict with them. Jesus had a benefit of understanding what was in people's hearts before they spoke it, and, and we don't have that privilege. So it's my belief that we actually don't have the right to speak the way that Jesus spoke to Jewish leaders. The only reason he was able to verbally discipline them was because he knew what was in their heart. And we don't have that privilege of literally knowing what is in someone's heart. But he still loved them, even though they infuriated him, right? Because what they were doing is they were leading people away from love. That's why he was so infuriated. They had, had, had agreed to being these this priesthood, these people who represented God to people and people back to God in love, it was supposed to be like the main currency of the Jewish people were these religious leaders, and they were not directing people to love. They were directing people to rules. And so, of course, Jesus is so infuriated because he's like, I can't here because of love and you people are saying that you're my representatives but you're not showing anybody love you're not really directing people to God you're directing people to your rules so yes Jesus did say things that seem unloving to us you know he said you brood of vipers that's not a compliment right but he knew their heart he knew their heart was closed off to him because he had that ability. And brothers and sisters, we have the Holy Spirit in us, but we are not divine. And we can trust that the Holy Spirit is bigger than our words or our opinions or our thoughts, and that he will convict what he is going to convict. And the way he uses us is by us laying a foundation of love before his created people. It's like, are you going to create this luscious path of grass to the cross? Or are you going to create a path of flaming hot coals of disdain and judgment and disapproval? Like, what are we putting before people's feet as we pray them into conviction? Which, which side is really love? I don't have to agree with someone's life and their choices to love them. Jesus didn't. He loved Zacchaeus, but I'm sure he didn't agree with Zacchaeus' cheating and stealing, right? But he, he didn't call Zacchaeus down from the tree and say, hey, hey you, get down here. What have you been doing? What were you thinking? Knock it off, right? That's what I sound like to my kids. <laughs> when they're doing something naughty, right? No, Jesus says, I'm coming to your house because I know nobody else will 
And I just want you to know the power of the Holy Spirit is working in you, and I can show you love without even having to say a single thing about what you've been doing. And you'll be convicted. We show sacred empathy when we let the Holy Spirit do the Holy Spirit's job, which is to convict someone's heart. And we show sacred empathy when, when we put this path of like luscious grass in front of people. It says, even though I don't agree with you or what you're doing, and I don't believe that this is what Jesus had in mind when he promised the full abundant life, and I don't think that's how he called us to live, but trust me, there's lots of things I do in my life that Jesus didn't call me to live, so I'm not going to lay judgment of hot coals in front of you. I'm going to plant seeds of luscious grass, of love, so that when you walk to the path of the cross, it's a path that's beautiful, loving, comforting, soothing. Sacred empathy says, I'm not going to breathe fire down on you, even though that's what my sinful self desires, because I want retribution for what you've done to me. If you've ever used a flamethrower or seen a flamethrower, I haven't actually used a flamethrower, so I don't know. But, um, you know, it's like, it just spits out. You know, you see them in the action movies, and, and just it's, there's power. But when the power is released, it's uncontainable. Right? So are we just exploding this, like, fire of judgment that's uncontainable on people? Or compare that to planting seed. Now, I've learned a little bit the past couple years about uh, yards and grass. My neighbor is a lawn connoisseur. He is an expert in uh, all things grass. And so, you know, I see him out there, and he's preparing his lawn, and he's fertilizing it, and he's aerating it, and he puts, um, he puts a special fertilizer down that's organic, and he tests his pH of his soil. He sends it to, you know, the U of M to have it, like, diagnosed of, like, what's in his soil so he can because he, he wants this perfect grass. He mows his lawn, like, three times a week. He just, his lawn is his hobby. And so I, I watch him prepare all these things for his grass. You know, we could just, like, like we did, you know, just throw the seed on there <laughs> and hope that it works, right? But at least I have to read the directions to see what the seed bag, like, says I have to do. Our choice of sacred empathy takes preparation. And it requires that we know the heart of Jesus, which is in this. And so it's... It's like the instruction manual, right? Like, you don't start having Jesus' heart without knowing his heart. And we've been made in his image, and we have this capacity to do the human things he did. That, like, showing love the way he did was, was the way he, he sh that was where his human things, like, he emptied himself. There weren't a whole lot of things Jesus did out of his divine nature on earth. The power of the miracles was done through the Holy Spirit. So we have a capacity to love people the way Jesus loved. That's how we bear his image. Right? Uh, God couldn't create love and 
we can't be robots in love, right? So in, in love, there's always a spectrum. You know, he can't, we can't have love without a choice. It's not love if it's not a choice. So there's, there's going to be hate because we have to be able to choose. And it's, it's, it's not love if we're not able to choose. And so God gave us this, this ability to love. And we have to decide, how are we letting the Holy Spirit work with us in love, right? So what I kind of envision it as like, you know, you imagine a speedometer or whatever, and, um, or some kind of, you know, gauge. So the Holy Spirit, you know, is if we don't have, depend on the Holy Spirit, and, and we're trying to love people, we're on this end of the spectrum, and life happens, and oh, that person made me mad. Oh, I'm just having a bad day. Oh, I just don't like Oh, this is the worst. And pretty soon you're over here. The Holy Spirit is like a weight that tethers you down, right? So if you let him, he says, I empower you with the sacred empathy and the love of Jesus Christ. And so when things happen, I'm still keeping you here. And, and when we show sacred empathy, we're saying, I love you, not because it's is like what comes out of default for me because my, my flesh, you know, what Apostle Paul calls the flesh, the sins of the flesh, I, I want retribution for what you've done to me. I want you to feel the way I feel. But when we let the Holy Spirit tether us with sacred empathy, it says, I see you the way God sees you, not the way that I see you. I see you the way God sees you, and God loves you. There's a, pass- there's a lot of passages in Proverbs, right? How, how do we speak life with our words? Just one example, Proverbs 18, 21. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So operating out of sacred empathy means that we're going to choose God's way. Bob Goff, in his book, Everybody Always, has, has this, like, clarifying... For me, it was like this clarifying moment. What God is working on in someone else's life is different than what he's working on in yours. So be empathetic to what they're going through, right? Every single person on this earth has a thing, right? We're, literally everyone has been through the ringer the past two years. So everyone is processing something differently. We are all dealing with something And sometimes we don't even realize we're dealing with something and words come out of somebody's mouth and they are not life-giving. And our response out of sacred empathy is not to retaliate with non-life-giving words. Sacred empathy is using Jesus' goggles. Imagine the amount of love, right? You think of like these thick, thick Coke glasses, right? Think of God's love as these thick Coke bottle glasses. His love is so strong, it changes the way we see things completely. And we bear that image and we have that capacity to love. When we celebrate Christ's humanity, we celebrate the fact that he squeezed himself into this little human being. And he walked earth. And he was a perfect human. And he was our substitute. The whole reason he came is so he could die in our place. 
And so when we celebrate the miracle of Christmas, we're not just celebrating like, oh, that's really sweet. No, that's amazing love. Like we don't even have words for the amount of love that is. He came. And he came to live among us, and the word-breathed life became flesh. The embodiment of God as a baby is amazing love. And that body broken and weighed down with sin of every human being is amazing love. And our response should propel us like, with like a jetpack of love to be God's currency in the world and to plant seeds of love. And love is why it's so important to celebrate Christ coming to earth. He is the reason for this season, but the reason isn't just Jesus' birthday. The reason is love for you and me that he came to die. He was born to die for us. Let's pray and invite God's love to kind of soak in us today. God, you came here as a baby the form you created, you came here for us. For us. You came here as a baby for us. The amount of love you show us in doing so is impossible for our brains to compute your sacred empathy, literally putting yourself into our experience. Inspire us today, Lord, to surrender to the transformation you invite us to. That we could comprehend the gravity of what you've done and it would propel us with this jetpack of love into sacred empathy and love for others. Forgive us when we've laid a path of coals to the cross for other people. Equip us and remind us each day that we are on mission with you to make paths to the cross. And the paths we show should be sown with love. That we can shout it from the rooftops and we can tell it from the highest points of the earth that you came. Holy Spirit, move in us this week. Clear our hearts so we clearly hear from you. Guard our hearts the way you've promised and allow these seeds in us to flourish and nourish our faith in you. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his human form. Thank you for coming here. And it is in the name of Jesus Christ that we are even able to pray. Amen.